Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Roadmapped, a podcast where we chat with product leaders around the world about their journey into product management and explore the decisions behind the products they work on. I'm your host, Sean Crow, along with my business partner, Thomas Krasinski. And today we're super excited to welcome our guest, Johan Bostrom. Johan is the co-founder and chief product officer at InRiver, which is a product information management company, uh, and their SaaS platform helps customers build better online experiences. Johan, thanks for chatting with us today. Thank you for having me. I think uh, a good place to start, if you can just kind of give us the, the foundation of what InRiver is and uh, what you do there. Well, what InRiver is, <coughs> we're a... <coughs> SaaS platform, like you said, uh, we we uh, help companies sell products in all touch points. So uh, we have customers ranging from uh, industrial manufacturers like a Lincoln Electric or a Milwaukee Tool or a Johnson Controls to customers like New Balance and H and M and everything in between. Uh, so basically, we take that bare bones skew from upstream sources. We move it to a process where we enrich it and tell that great product story. And then we disseminate it to your own channels or to your third-party channels like a Walmart or an Amazon. And of course, to your internal solutions as well. So uh, because it, at the end of the day, customers interact with your content. They don't interact with your systems. So if you don't have this process under control, you can adapt your content to the right message for the right right individual in the right case, right point in time, you're not likely to be successful. So I think that that's been like where we have ridden on that wave that, that everyone understands that content gets more and more crucial and the more people interact uh, via uh, electronic means, the, the more important it gets. And as we know today, some some people don't even want to talk to a sales guy. They want to sell service. <laughs> and then content is the only tool that you can use. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. So can you walk us through maybe the use case for like H&M just to kind of paint a picture of what um, how that all works with that client? Well, it, they are a vertically integrated retailer. We have retailers that aren't as well that, that onboard their content and buy their products from third parties. But if you look at H&M, they're vertically integrated. So they design and produce their own uh, products. So we take that bare bone skew and some, some facts about the product because there are facts coming out of the product lifecycle management system where designers work uh, that enters in river. Uh, and then we have a definition of what is needed for that product in the channels where it's going to get sold. So it, it gets sent through the workflow so that we get the pictures taken, we, we write the descriptions, we see that we have the material composition in place, um, that every color swatch is there, all the stuff that you need to make a buying decision. And then H&M, uh, have, they have a, a really uh, well thought through CSR project as well. So if you go into H&M.com, you'll also see where this has been manufactured, the, the, the information about the factory, the material and all that. So you, want, you, you can actually see that they vouch for that the working conditions in the factory is good, that they don't use um, band metals and the coloring and all that good stuff. So, and that we see is a, is a trend that goes across all industries because most consumers especially, but also B2B buyers are placing this very high on their list of criteria right now. So 
for B2B buyers, it can even be that they can't buy it if it doesn't adhere to certain standards. Uh, so, so this 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 is also sort of been uh, good for us. It's a business opportunity for us to solve for for that challenge for for all these brand manufacturers that need to communicate it to their audience. Okay, so so basically, you're allowing them to be more transparent with their sourcing and their factory conditions and all that. that that's really cool. Correct, and and the the part here, which I think is is something that that actually could be a topic for a whole podcast would be how to collect this information to be able to be transparent because consumers and buyers alike require transparency. So it's not like anyone's got a choice. Uh, we just got to make it as simple and as frictionless as possible to deliver that transparency to the buyers and the consumers. Totally. Yeah, I remember seeing, I don't know if you guys are utilizing block, blockchain for this or not, but I remember seeing a lot of companies starting to to put like QR codes on the packaging and then you can just see every step of the way on the blockchain where this mm -hmm. product was. I think this is a good example where blockchain can be used. I think it's in its infancy. Uh, I don't think there's enough support for blockchain across all the systems and, and actors in the supply chain. Yep. But it's going to happen and because you've got to be able to trust the information and that our blockchain is a good tool for that, right? So so I think we're going to see it uh, and we have our eyes on it, but it's not it's not something that we have in the roadmap currently because we can't see that we have anyone to interact with uh, right now. Yeah, that, that's a big that's a big ask getting every single person in the chain, you know, to, to be involved. That's a, it's a lot of a lot of effort there. <laughs> for sure. I also like how we were using H&M as the example because they were headlined not too long ago with just the whole supply chain side of things. Um, but that's a topic for another day. It um, is. I mean, you see yeah. that across the board. I mean, all, all companies are going to get scrutinized both by their customers and by the market as a whole. Uh, so it, this is this is not going to go away. It's going to increase in size and and speed, and uh, that that's where a PIM comes in handy. It's not the only tool that you need. You need a set of tools. You probably would benefit from having a good PLM set up as well. Uh, but the PIM is a crucial part of of, of getting to transparency. And the the PIM, just to be clear, the PIM is product information management, right? Correct. Correct. So PLM, product lifecycle management, typically where we define the designers and the, the engineers that are designing the products. Uh, the data set that they produce when they do that is really valuable downstream. So we take that into, import that into the PIM and we reuse and, and re, uh, we, we revamp it so that it's sort of in human readable format, consumer, customer facing, and the part of that product story that's convincing and trustworthy so um this seems like a very specific niche uh and not something that you uh, it, i feel like you have to come across this like this industry and this problem um and to come up with the solution so what was your story into into getting into the space uh and how did you become uh a product owner essentially well, uh, it, it started, it's the, actually 20 years ago with the telco explosion in the Nordics with Nokia and Ericsson and all the, the, the other companies in the Nordics was just exploding. I mean, it, this was uh, unheard of when it came to growth and, and expansion, both geographically and given the enormous amount of products that they released. 
<clears throat> and they had to localize this. They had to uh, sell the same product under different brand names in different markets. Um, enormous amounts of support coming in. So we delivered websites for these companies. And eventually we realized we can't maintain all this information downstream in each and every engagement point because it's getting out of hand. So we figured out that we got to move this maintenance upstream so that all these endpoints subscribe to the same source. We didn't call the PIM. We just wanted to move it upstream, like good information logistics. Uh, we soon realized that this is something that other companies would need, but maybe not in a bespoke way. We can't, we can't build this for every customer. We got to have something that's prepackaged. And that sort of was, we took all the knowledge that we'd gained and we packaged an application that sort of became in river. Uh, and so in river was born out of the telco explosion in the Nordics, but our first customers were mostly well-known Nordic brands that were selling uh, globally, because they needed the localization piece of this to work well. So uh, a lot of the key drivers in the beginning was helping them with localization. Uh, but eventually, of course, with the e-commerce explosion and everything that happened after that, uh, we, of course, have a much broader scope. But initially, it was a lot about localizing and getting it centralized so that it was consistent across all the touch points. So were you working in telco or did you have a business that uh, before InRiver? Uh, we were working in a in a SI basically, so we we were building bespoke solutions to larger Swedish companies. Uh, and uh, what you soon realize is that, of course, if if you are a very large telco company, uh, you can you don't just af can afford to build things; you can actually benefit from building your own because it fits exactly your need and your niche. Uh, but if you look at the other 99.9 something percent of the customers out there, they want something that is prepackaged and can be up and running in a few months. Uh, so that that's where we saw the, the sort of the market potential for PIM. I would say we were probably a little early. We've been that with a lot of things. Uh, PIM was not a, even an acronym. Uh, then we invented our own in PXM, Product Experience Management, came from InRiver uh, to sort of uh, put it in uh, in the context of the MarTech stack instead of sort of the data stack. Uh, because we have always seen ourselves as a MarTech tool, our users, our marketers, our customer or our sponsor is typically the CMO or the CDO or something like that. So we are really in that MarTech stack, but the market has been looking at uh, PIM as, as data, which is sort of true because we have to store the data, but it's not what it's supposed to do. We're, we're supposed to deliver revenue and drive revenue. That's what the PIM is there to do. Uh, the rest is, is important, but it's table stakes. Uh, if you don't drive revenue, there's no need for a PIM. Uh, so, so we, we have seen that shift uh, for sure over the, the last few years that it's been more focused on the business benefits and the, the revenue drivers than the IT piece of this, because there's an IT benefit, of course, out of centralizing data. And, and thus, IT sometimes feels that it's, it's prudent to have a PIM because they want to centralize it. They have so many repositories they can't manage. Uh, so sometimes it's actually driven by IT, but it's typically coming from marketing and the digital teams. 
Got it. Uh, so you keep saying we. So how how big is the is the founding team and how big is the company today? Oh, we we used to be three. Uh, we're now two. Uh, both Johans <laughs> to make things simple. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so so we we've been in this space for a long time. We we had our background within ERP. Uh, all of us. So so we we sort of came from that background. Uh, and ERP and PIM are definitely related in the sense that they're a part of the same uh, information supply chain, but they're very different in the sense of what kind of use cases you use to use that to solve for with them uh, and where they are used and who are using them because ERP typically used uh, for transactional logistics and not for unstructured content. So PIM tries to make something unstructured structured so that we can actually do this uh, in a more or less automated way and to increase time to market and, and, and of course, be able to be transparent and tell a better product story. Because there's two drivers right now. One is time to market. P companies, organizations need to move faster. And that PIM can help them with. And secondly, they need to tell a better, more transparent product story. So the number of assets, attributes, and, and markets, and all that localization is just growing. Um, and the customers are just demanding more and more content. And if you are a manufacturer and you want to sell through Walmart or Amazon or, or uh, Home Depot, you got to adhere to their standards too. So, so in, and of course, Home Depot and Walmart, they have different standards. So, so it's, it's kind of hard to deal with that at scale. So the last part we added uh, with an acquisition um, a couple of months ago was a company called Detail Online, also happens to be Swedish, uh, that does digital shelf analytics so that we can actually help and guide our users to know the next best move. Because if you want to move the revenue needle, you got to know what moves it. And Detail Online will tell you how to gain uh, better SEO, how to get better share of shelf, how to increase your conversion rate, uh, how you stack up against your competition, how your prices fluctuate, all that that you want to bring back, optimize your story, optimize your data and send it out again to improve it. So you see to that you always are increasing your competitiveness in all your touch points. And so, so th there's, there's that component to it as well that, um, just being able to be effective in producing something doesn't necessarily mean that you know what to do. Uh, and I've called our users backseat drivers with a blindfold on because they're really backseat drivers. They don't control the standards. They don't know how it's affecting their search engine optimization or conversion rates. And now we can actually tell them. Uh, and that, that's a game changer for us. And now we of course have other things we want to do too, to grab more data from the channels to improve both the content and the process. So it sounds like you you guys have a, a nice foothold in the industry and you have some pretty big name brands here. Can you tell us about the like the the features and the product that you launched with and what that that MVP looked like versus what the product looks like today? Uh, I would say I mean it, it's a world of difference of of course when we started it was single tenant deployed on prem and in many cases, large customers with humongous amounts of data on many channels running in, you know, Unix machines, Sun Solaris clusters with SunSpark servers and all that jazz. So you're, uh, say, you're saying words that we don't even know now. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're, we're taking a trip back to like the late 90s uh, 
when Sun Microsystems was the thing, everything on the internet ran on Sun or digital. Um, that 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 cons that was the the world we lived in when we started with this. Over the course of this, of course, SaaS has become something that is just eating everything in software. We saw this in 2013, 2014, that uh, the old school monolithic on-prem way of working is not going to fly in the future. So we started uh, a project to take everything we had uh, and develop that to a service. So I think the biggest shift we've ever done is actually going from a, a software package to selling a service. Uh, that's huge. Um, but it, of course, if you look at the capabilities, just uh, the addition of now detail online and the uh, the um, digital shelf analytics piece of this is of course also a huge thing. Uh, but what you realize quite soon when you start looking at like syndication, which is also something we've added to get the data to third parties, that wasn't the story 10 years ago. Hardly was a story five years ago. Today, it is the story, uh, right? Getting the data to Walmart and Amazon and Home Depot, that's the story. Uh, so it, we've, of course, added capabilities for that as well. But we couldn't have done it at scale without moving to a multi-tenant SaaS environment first. Because if you have to build a thousand adapters to help a thousand customers get their data to an endpoint, that's not scalable. You gotta be able to have one adapter serving a thousand customers. And that can only happen in a multi-tenant environment. Can't happen with on-prem monoliths. So that was sort of one of the key drivers for us to do this was like, we gotta be able to move faster and we gotta be able to cater to this at scale. How do we do that? Well, we move the whole solution to the cloud and that, that we did. The, I, I wanted to go back a little bit because I love the analogy that you talked about product before and I wrote it down you know, as a backseat driver with a mm -hmm. blindfold. And that sounds like your stakeholder, if I'm not mistaken, that you were serving. Yeah. How do you, so it's really tricky when, how did you make product decisions for a end user that sounds like they may have not really known what they wanted because they didn't really know what they were doing or didn't really know what information to act on in the first place or what they could? That is a really good question. And I think one of the good questions, regardless of where you are, when you are working with products. So how do you know what will benefit the users most? So there are, I mean, we're in the IT industry as a whole, I would say. We have been very feature function driven and we are we are techies, we're propeller hats. And, and that's that's great because we can accomplish a lot of things with that knowledge. However, uh, we're not value driven. And, and the customers are, for, from, from their perspective, it, it is how much revenue can you help us drive? That's the, that, that is the answer they want, that question they want answers to, right? So when, when, when you look at it, you, you can talk to users and have them explain to you how they would like to see their own personal workflow so that they become more effective and, and they don't have to do repetitive tasks. But that's that's pretty, you know, low level, smaller things. If you look at the bigger picture, it's about how to drive revenue and to be really 
uh, focused on that value that you can deliver. So we, we've started now working with the value definition. What kind of value, what business benefit, and what outcome do we want to provide our customers? And of course, we do that by talking to them, but we don't talk solution. We want to know their challenge and the value that they want to get out. And then we back up and we see what do we do to deliver that value to them? And, and that's a, sort of a very different way of working from a product management perspective to define the, the customer value first. Uh, but I believe it's the right way of doing things. And over time, that delivers more value to all the stakeholders, the customer, to InRiver, to our partner network, that we're focusing on delivering value instead. And it can be a little bit you know, um, hard to explain sometimes. But I do believe that that's where the industry needs to be going. <laughs> it's my personal opinion that the industry needs to focus more on that. Uh, and I believe that customers like when we do that as well. Best thing, we have to explain the value to them before we even build it. So we have to actually understand what we are doing. Uh, just by having to explain the value means that we have to think it through really well. I, I really like that answer, and I like the way that you took it towards value, because this is also something um, that Sean and I were just recently talking to on like projects that we do is like, how, well, how do, how do you, how are we going to measure value? Because ultimately, any action that we take needs to have some sort of ROI, because yeah. if it doesn't, then we'll, I guess it's a hobby at that point, or you're just doing it for fun, right? But, but you need to do that. Um, and I guess that also answers the question of like, well, how do you decide on features for someone that doesn't really know where they're, you know, want to go, or maybe they think they know what they want, but is it really going to drive value for them in the end? Talk to us a little bit about what exercises that you do to get value. Cause it sounded like the way you went about it was the whole, like, ask why seven times almost, uh, but like, yeah. So how do you get to that value? It depends on on uh, what kind of capability we're talking about that we would need to add. But I, it it starts with with for us starts with how can we help customers either drive revenue or customer satisfaction, because there's two things to this. There's the revenue driving piece. Of course, you want to sell more spare parts to your existing customer base. I get that. That is one piece of this where we can help with the findability, we can help with the guided selling, we can help with all that. And then you have the customer retention piece. So let's let's say you can't help your customer to self-service because you don't have your content under control. They're likely to churn because they will they won't spend two hours with your salespeople on the phone anymore. If they have to pick up the phone, you already lost the game. That, that, you have to help them to self-service. Now, that has a, that's a different, different set of capabilities probably needed to help them to actually get regain the customer's confidence and get the customer not just start buying parts and consumables and, and, and uh, accessories from them again, but actually get the customer to self-service in a way they feel that there's so little friction doing business with this company that I'm staying. Because if they don't, the customer acquisition cost will kill the business. Uh, you, you can't have customer churn. You can have it in the SaaS industry for sure, but can definitely not have it in any industry today because the customer acquisition cost is too high. Loyalty is important. 
for sure. So and, h- yeah. how often are how often are you talking with your customers today, like to to make sure you're aligned on these values and driving those metrics? Oh, we we talk to our customers. I would say most of them on a quarterly basis, some of them on a monthly, uh, and depending on when and where. Uh, some customers, of course, depending on industry, are better suited to give us answers to some questions than others. But I would say every quarter, at least every month for some. Uh, and when we're in the middle of something like we are now, when we do the definitions, uh, we are probably going to talk to tens of customers that, that fit the description of, of someone in need of such a capability to drive that revenue. So so it, it is frequent. Not frequent enough, though. We, we, we should do more. Um, we also have a very large partner network with SIs. So there's about a thousand uh, consultants working with implementing and supporting InRiver in our SI partner base. And of course, they are also really important for us because if we can support them and make their job easier, uh, of course, the customers will benefit from it. So getting feedback from our partners is also important, Some, sometimes equally important as the customer because they are the ones really providing the solution. I mean, we provide a SaaS service. The, the SI is providing the, the complete solution and ties it together with commerce and CMS and syndication, ERP, PLM, and all that jazz. Yeah, that's really cool. Did you say you have over a thousand consultants in your partner network? Yeah, that is crazy. That is so many. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It, it, you can, you can look at this in two ways. I mean, mo- most SaaS companies they start as a one stop shop, uh, and it would I I wouldn't rule out that we probably or Mike would have if we would have started today because it's easier and it's a finance and it's a it's a method of financing to get that cash flow from services. We we decided in 2007 to divest services uh, and go with partners. And it's now, it's in the DNA of River to have a partner network helping our customers delivering the solutions. And the, the reason for that is that we don't think that we are going to be the masters of all e-commerce platforms out there. And they are really crucial in the solution. We don't believe that we are going to be the best ones at everything the customer needs. Uh, we're really good at PIM, but that's just one piece of the big puzzle. So it's better to have an SI that can go with a Salesforce full-blown implementation uh, and add some other stuff to it within River than to try and have us master all of this. So I, we believe it's a better service model, uh, but it also requires that you work differently because there's a third party between you and the customer and and they need to have the support that 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 all the support we can give them and we need to listen to them and when they tell us hey if you would do this we would save x in every single implementation or this 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 would be very beneficial for us when we want to do something uh this is so customers is important they're absolutely the most important uh, uh stakeholder but our partner network is is also very important to us. Yeah, that's really cool. I think it's it's smart to to realize that you know there's so many different platforms that like you can't possibly be the best at all of them. It's it's just an an impossible thing. 
it, it is its platforms and then it's also a whole domains it's also industry knowledge if if uh, a mm. lot of our partners are specialized in like industrial manufacturing that's what they do if you're a retailer they they don't work with you and we have we have partners that only do retail and nothing else because they are really good at retail they understand retail and that is also a domain knowledge that you need to have and then you add platforms on top of it it becomes even more complex so that's why we feel that we are not the best ones to deliver a solution. SIs are. And I don't see that you could actually deliver any solution without the SIs and then taking the PIM out of the equation, doing that in a sort of a separate project is probably not prudent because the data model in the PIM impacts everything it touches after you put it in there. Yep, that, that makes total sense. Um, cool. Thomas, do you have any last minute questions? We're coming up on time here before we get into the rapid fire. Um, I guess one kind of fun question. Um, I don't, don't think we talked about it. And if we did, I apologize. Um, was uh, time to value. And it seems like you have a pretty complicated solution in, in, in general. Or not complicated, but there's a lot of things that have to happen for you to, to implement this through one of your partners. What's the time to value and how does that play a role in product features or just in general too? Uh, it, 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 it plays a big role <laughs> for, for sure. Uh, but uh, again, it, it all depends on where we start and where we're going. Um, I, I believe that when, when we look at the world of InRiver and our customer base and, and their needs, our partners and their needs, and, uh, and of course, the longevity and, and, and the value for InRiver as well, um, it's really about finding the values across the board. And it, of course, we talked about the revenue and, and the retention and all that. For our partners, there's other things that are valuable to them. Uh, and and we need to provide them with value so they want to stay with us, stick with us, help us and help our customers. And of course, to grow that network, because as soon as we enter a new market, we got to build a partner network first. So we start when we enter a market with the partner network, then we add the rest. Whilst if you are sort of if we go back to that typical SaaS one-stop shop model, well, then you don't have that need. On the other hand, you won't have uh, boots on the ground that knows the industry and knows the system landscape so um it's a uh, it, there's no e there's no easy answers to anything on uh, any of this uh but i believe that being listen a lot and and really try and figure out where the value drivers are is is what will keep us being successful Love it. Yeah, it sounds like uh, you guys are on a good path there. Are there any um, are there any markets that your industries, I guess, that you're about to enter that are kind of uh, top of mind right now? Well, we were really working with Germany and the UK this year. Uh, we're already there, but not with the presence that we would like to have. Mm. Um, there's, of course, also when we acquired Detail Online, uh, we got 120 new colleagues in the Philippines, which means that we have a better foothold for going into Asia as well. 
it's not going to happen this year, uh, but uh, it definitely gives us uh, that foothold that we would need with a substantial number of people uh, that can work with everything from cloud operations to support the services uh, from this closely related time zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Cool. Um, well, let's get into the final rapid fire questions here. Um, number one, what books are you currently reading or some that you recommend? Oh, uh, I, I started reading uh, the 80 20 principle again. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I get back to that quite a lot because uh, uh, we were talking, you, you were mentioning like the complexity of the solution. Uh, and yes, uh, I mean, we have a lot of integration points. We have we we do process change, uh, and uh, yeah, that that adds complexity. So our job is to find twenty percent of every sort of use case in a process that makes up for eighty percent of time, cost, and and quality issues and all that. Because if you if you go for perfect, you're gonna no one's going to be able to work in that process. So uh, if you aim for time to market, you really got to focus on the things that's important. Uh, and, and I think that that's, that's really where we need to, to be even more focused. So, and I like that book because it, it's sort of, it's apparent for everyone that you, you're going to be 70, 30, 80, 20, 90, 10, around that you, you're going to find in every metric that you can, that you can measure. Right. So, so we got to just be, focusing in on those 20% and not forget about the 20% because that's where the real value lies. Then you get into the tail and some of that tail is industry specific, say pharma. What you would see in pharma would probably be at the tail end of functionality. But if you really want to be good at pharma, you need to focus on that tail end because that's 80% for them. So there's uh, a play here between what kind of industries do we want to support customer sizes do we want to support and you also probably if you want to go for pharma you need partners that actually understand that industry as well and understands the fda regulations and all that so there's so many moving parts into making this uh sort of as frictionless as we can the time to value is, is 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 uh is high on our list and we have quite a few initiatives that constantly strives for making it easier to to implement and maintain in River as a platform. Love it. Yeah, I uh, I forgot that was a book, honestly. So uh, we know we, we follow that principle, but yeah, that, that'd be a good uh, good book for us to pick up, Thomas. It's the it's it's the way to my heart. I love yeah. spending <laughs> the least amount of effort for like maximum results. Basically, it's just the it's economic utility. Yeah, this, yeah, marginal benefit, marginal cost. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But and and it's it's kind of a boring way of thinking about a problem. Uh, but it's the only way of thinking about a problem if you don't have unlimited resources and unlimited time. And I don't know anyone, not even Microsoft, would have unlimited resources and unlimited time. Yep, exactly. Um, all right, number two, what podcasts are you currently listening to? What music I'm listening to? Well, it depends. Uh, it typically ends up with Avicii. I'm a Swede after all, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do like Avicii. Thomas you used to like Avicii in in, uh, yeah, in college. Yeah, used to. Used to. <laughs> um, number three, what tools can you not live without as a product manager? I'm going to be so boring to say it's my phone. 
That's all right. <laughs> I can live what without is- any all other tools. I can you can get my MacBook, but I I wouldn't survive five minutes without my phone. <laughs> yep. What um so that's perfect leading to the next question. Then so what are the three most used apps on your phone? I would say number one is Microsoft Teams for sure. Okay. Secondly, it's email, and third, it's calendar. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> They're the fighting it out. You need over. to run the business. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, number five. What app or tool feature have you recently been surprised and delighted by? Oh, that's a good question. It's easier to see where you have not been pleasantly surprised. Uh, <laughs> you know, we can we can go that direction too. That's fine. <laughs> No, there's, uh, I I think, uh, as a whole, there's a lot of, like, cool, interesting stuff coming out. Uh, uh, What's it called? Um, Where you can have a direct communication in a room. Uh, It's getting into Teams right now, too. Um, Which can sort of set up your small conferences and have an exchange of of debate. Uh, Mm. I think that that might... Those are really cool. Uh, I don't. They're more a feature than they're. It's they're, they are their own application. I just tried it out in, in uh, Twitter, and it it felt like yeah. In Twitter, the the functionality of direct uh, full duplex communication voice wise makes a little sense. Uh, standalone, not so much. But as a as a feature, it's actually quite nice. You just quickly set that up. We had this discussion on Twitter. Let's go into this room and debate it mm-hmm. instead of just typing, typing, typing 240 characters. Uh, yeah. I think, but, but again, uh, most of the stuff that I use today annoys me because it's just trying to do too much. Everything is getting more and more crammed and it's doing everything. Teams is a very good example of something that tries to do it all and actually pretty much fails on doing anything really well. <laughs> Good old Microsoft, you know. <laughs> well, they do a lot of great stuff, uh, but Teams is like a lot of other. It's like it's it's getting to where uh, I'm going to go back in time again, where Lotus Notes used to be. Uh, it's it's it is ev- on everyone's desktop. It is a it is a like a heavyweight application, uh, and it's a virus because you can do so much with it so quickly without knowing how to code or understanding data structures or the consequences of your actions. So uh, it, 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 it typically is what happens eventually when everyone gets to be able to do what they want to do. So you want the users to be in control. You want to give the users as much power as possible. But when you do without control, you end up with Lotus Notes, Domino, or what now is going on in Teams. Uh, yeah, uh, It explodes. <laughs> when it enters uh, an organization. Yep, totally. Um, all right, number six. Is there anyone that you follow uh, to get inspiration from? Uh, I, I don't really follow any individuals in that sense. Um, I, I think if I want inspiration, I'd rather take a walk <laughs> than to listen to a lot of people. Uh, it's it, there's there's a lot of great thinking out there. There's loads of things that you need to to take in, and especially within the product organization, it's extremely important that we keep our eyes on the trends. Uh, and then I'm talking about starting with the mega trends, 
we we started this discussion with talking about like uh, corporate social responsibility and that transparency. That's a trend. That's a mega trend, even. So you, you look at that mega trend and then you boil that down. How will that affect our customers and, and how can we help them? Uh, and if you want to stay ahead of the game, you got to be you got to have that crystal ball or try and have it anyhow and see where would these mega trends lead us in 2023? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, that's perfect. Leading into the, the last question here. Um, so speaking of trends, are there any product management specific trends or maybe even just trends in your industry that you're excited about uh, over the next couple of years? Uh I think as a whole, the, the trend is that the in in the in the stacks that you have access to, whether you're on Azure or AWS or Google, uh, you get more and more capabilities that you can utilize out of the box. So, uh, ten years ago, we would have had to write much more code to get where we want to go than we have to do today, because you can just tap into AI ML capabilities or whatnot. You 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 need. Uh, uh, a service bus. Well, hey, it's there. You don't have to build it anymore. Uh, so, so that that saves a lot of time when it comes to uh, the plumbing of an application. I'm sh pretty sure, uh, or we can't actually see that. It's it's moving upwards too. So the the UI frameworks and everything that that you use for the web browser applications are also easier and faster to to work with. So. Uh, that is the, I th I see as the biggest trend and it's been going on for 20 years and, and, and it's not going to stop. It's actually accelerating and, and it's, it's great because it means that focusing on the value is more important than focusing on the plumbing. <laughs> so I like that <laughs> yeah. trend. The less code yep. we need, to, the, the, the best code we write is the code we don't write. <laughs> that, that's a that's a good line for you thomas 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 loves those one-liners and i know the one he's thinking of right now is uh, you yeah. can't measure traction in lines of code that's his favorite quote that is a very good quote because it's so <laughs> true i mean if you want enormous amounts of code that does nothing but introduce bugs you just let me write it we're yeah. good to go <laughs> love it um, awesome. If anyone listening wants to reach out or learn more about you, where can they go? They can go to www.inriver.com or uh, send an email to hello at inriver.com. Awesome. Well, Johan, thanks so much for being on the show. This is great. Thank you for having me.